Today I want to speak from Hebrews chapter 10 with you. I hope you put on your gospel shoes on today. And I hope you came to church to give the Lord a shout and a praise today. And you are ready to receive the word because I'm ready. I hope the people on television are just as ready as we are in this place. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32 to 36. I read in the NIV Bible and I'll read verse 32 only in the New King James Version. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. Note that. After you had received the light or enlightenment. When you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Can I hear a good amen from the nine o'clock people? In the New King James Version, it reads, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. And so that forms the theme or the title of my message, a fight after illumination. A fight after illumination. The format of the book of Hebrews, when you look at it, differs so much from the format of other New Testament books, other epistles that were written. Because when you read the epistles, you know that the way the writer would start the letter, they would first introduce themselves. They would greet the people, and then they would introduce themselves. But when you read the book of Hebrews, that's not the format that's followed. Therefore, this raises lots of questions about really who is the author of the book of Hebrews. Having said that, I must also say that many Bible scholars have consensus over the fact that the book of Hebrews was written by Paul. And when you read the book of Hebrews, you find that in the book of Hebrews, it's written during a specific historical time in history. It appears as though the account of the gospel history that we find in the book of Hebrews it is the one that was written during the time when the Christians were greatly persecuted in Judea. It is that time when there was so much persecution that happened in that time and the book was written around that time. In fact, if you go all the way back and note what was happening in this time period, it started all the way back with the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus who was crucified, nailed to the cross, died a cruel death. He was accused of something he didn't do, crucified by church people, religious people, who asked that Barabbas should be released in his place. Even though there was no fault with what Jesus had done, they screamed and shouted, crucify him. They even went further and said, his blood be upon our heads and upon our children's heads. 
a thing that they would live to regret. But it was that time, and that was the atmosphere of the time, a time of great persecution. Immediately thereafter, when the early church came into being, we note how a man like Stephen was stoned to death simply for preaching the gospel. Paul was there. At that time, his name was Saul. And after this man was stoned to death, people came and put things at his feet and he literally supervised the murder of Stephen who died as a gospel martyr. Thereafter, we note how persecution spread all over Judea. And then we read in Acts chapter 12 how Herod brought persecution. And at that time, James was killed. And we read about the various persecutions that happened. But it's very interesting to note that in spite of the persecution, the church became stronger and stronger. In spite of the persecutions, the Christians became more determined to preach the gospel and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of the persecution, the church experienced its finest hour. The church was at its best. The church was more anointed. The church was more powerful. More people were getting saved. More churches were being started. In spite of the persecution, the gospel went on because persecution will never stop the work of God at any time. And this is the context in which this book is written. And Paul is talking about this. And all these accounts sufficiently show that at this time, these people who were under persecution had a certain disposition about them. They would not be stopped in the propagation of the gospel. Even when the church in Judea was greatly persecuted, they behaved with courage. They behaved with consistency. They behaved with determination. Even when the persecution was intense, there are some believers, unfortunately, who denounced their faith. But the majority of other believers soldiers on. And when they saw somebody being killed and being persecuted and being marked out, they would promptly step in place and say, I am next, persecute me. Because I'm not going to turn away from my faith. I think we need to hear this because I think today we have become too soft as Christians. We have become too sensitive as Christians. We have become too fickle as Christians. We allow smaller yana things to take away our faith in Jesus Christ. We cry over small persecutions. We cry over small insignificant things when this gospel was written by the blood and the sweats of martyrs. And so Paul writes to them, and writes to them in this atmosphere to encourage these believers of noble spirit. That as a Christian, you don't hide in a corner. You step out and carry the mark of Jesus Christ. That even in the face of affliction, even in the face of opposition, you stand up for the truth in spite of persecution. And it is in this time that the Apostle Paul writes this epistle. And explain to them why they were suffering, why the trials were so severe. He's saying, these people, even if you are in great danger, you have refused for them to move you away from your faith in Christ. And so he says when he starts in the verses we have read, he said, I call you to remembrance. He says, I'm calling you to remembrance. 
He says, I'm calling you to remembrance because the nature of these trials, if you look at them carefully, they are similar to the trials that you have experienced before. He's saying, I want to remind you that, by the way, you haven't done your Christianity in a vacuum. You haven't lived for God and you didn't experience problems. I want you to put it in context. Remember that even the last time you believed, you went through these trials. Even the last time you followed Christ, you were persecuted. But in spite of the persecution, you still made it through. So I said, I'm putting you to remembrance. I'm putting you to remembrance. He says, I'm also putting you to remembrance because I want you to live This pattern of being tried and this pattern of being persecuted seems to be the same. You get persecuted after you have received illumination. He's saying there's something about it that when you get illumination, Satan doesn't like the fact that you get illumination. So he persecutes you because of this illumination. So he says, I want you to remember. Why is it so important for us to remember? He is inferring that, note, God was able to help you and he enabled you to pass through the trials. And because God did it once, God can do it again. He says, I want you to remember the grace that was bestowed upon you, how God supported you, how God encouraged you. And I want you to take this in mind into the future trials. So that when you are tempted, look back and see what God has done for you. He is not saying, I want you to look back and look in a nostalgic way to the past. He's not saying, I want you to look back and talk about the good old days. He says, Mara, I want you to look back and look at what God did in the past and says, if God has done it before, God can do it again. He says, it is in that context that you face the persecution. I want you to put context to the ability of a God who when he has begun you, he will finish you. I want you to put context to this God who is the author and the finisher of your faith, who is the beginning and the end, who is the alpha and the omega. I want you to put context to this God who said to you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, no matter what you go through, I will be with you all the time. Somebody give the Lord a shout in this house I want you to remember it's important for us to remember because when we are caught in trials it's easy for us to forget but God wants us to remember why must we remember number one remembrance makes you to appreciate God's consistent ability that's what remembering does when you remember, it helps you to remember how consistent God is. And that no matter how dark it seems, he has always been consistent. Listen what David says in Psalms 37, verse 25. He says, I was young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or they are seed begging bread. What is he saying? I'm trying to remember the trail and the journey that God has taken us through. I remember I remember I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget that. 
And if I can remember that, it will help me even in the season that I'm in. That this God who carried me that time, he will carry me right now. Somebody say hallelujah to God if you know God will carry you. Number two, remembering makes you walk in your calling. Because when pressure comes, when trials comes, they try to push you out of your calling. They try to bump you off your path so that you stop focusing on God. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So in other words, he's saying, even when you were slaves, even when you were in a bad place, God came through for you. Even when trouble came, God still fulfilled in your life what he needed to fulfill. Don't lose your calling. Don't stop believing God. Don't throw away your vision. Don't bury your dream because of the trial. Remember last time God did bring you through and he will bring you through this time. Can I hear a good amen? Number three, remembrance may keeps you humble. Because when you remember how far God has brought you, then you realize that where you are is not because of your effort. Therefore, you don't pat yourself on the back at all. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul is saying what I noted was when I was at my weakest, that's when God came through the most. So next time when I am having victory, I won't pat myself on the back. I will look back and say, when I was just about to fall, God carried me. And because God carried me, here I am today. How many of you can say God has carried us through this time, no matter what has been happening? Here we are today praising God. Here we are today worshiping God. Here we are today listening to the word of God. In spite of the things that have gone through in our families, in our homes, in our nation, here we are today. And so we won't pat ourselves on the back. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm about to fall, I find out I have more power than what I thought I am. Because when I have come to the end of myself, then God begins where I end and he takes me further. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. I see you strong in the name of Jesus. I said, I see you strong in the name of Jesus. Not strong in yourself, but strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Jesus. Remembrance keeps us humble. Number four, remembrance makes us to be grateful people. That's why I was so so grateful when I thought about 38 years of preaching. 33 years of those 38 years in marriage. Grateful to God for my partner. For wifey. Grateful to God. I tell you. Grateful to God for the other people who also play roles in our lives. You become grateful when you remember. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, by the grace of God, Bazarana, I went to go and dedicate a church of, uh, as you know, we have uh, sons in the house, you know, the immediate sons that I'm looking at here, sons and daughters. And we have other sons who are adopted sons. You know, they are not in our church, 
Mara, they have decided to place their churches under our covering. And they consider me their spiritual father. So at all their significant events, they invite me to come over. So we went over to uh, uh, his, his house church out in Kanakekai, uh, Centurion, Mfundisim Musamabasa, and no 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 Mabasa. And they have a beautiful church. They bought a beautiful church there, Basalat. You know, and I was dedicating it yesterday, yeah? the 38th anniversary in ministry. You know, I was, I was looking at this as I was around. What, what else can you ask for, eh? And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, God, what a privilege. Can I hear an amen? What a privilege. What a privilege to give us the privilege to, to be able to mentor other people and pour ourselves into other people and see the fruit of the ministry. Number five, remembrance makes you kind and helpful to others. When you remember how far God has brought you, you'll be kind and helpful to others. Deuteronomy 16, 12 says, you'll remember that you were a born slave in Egypt. So in our context, this text in Hebrews said these believers must remember, but in particular they must remember the pattern of attack. Watch. He says, after you were illuminated, you got attacked. In other words, the believers were called upon to remember that persecution always comes after illumination. Paul is saying, after you became Christians, after you became enlightened, after you saw the truth, after you decided for Christ, then persecution came. This is consistent with so many other scriptures we read in the Bible. In Mark chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, when Jesus taught his disciples about the sower and the seed, He said, persecution and affliction came after the word was sown. And it came because of the word. So anytime you receive the illumination of God's word and the preaching of God's word, you must know at the tail end of it, there's persecution and affliction. Just when you learn the scriptures, Just when you decide to do what the Bible says, on that month when you decide to become a tither, that's the month when your refrigerator decides to give up on you. That's the same month that your car decides to get broken. Forcing you to go and take that money that you had put aside for tithing and fix the refrigerator or the car. Because Satan, that's his pattern. That's his pattern. Just that week when you decided to go and fast at your work, your stingy friend decided to buy you lunch for free. Just that week. So every time after you have been illuminated, when you have received the word, that's exactly the timing Satan brings persecution and affliction. We see this as well in the book of Mark in the, after Jesus was baptized by John, as he came out of the waters of baptism, and the Spirit came and sat upon his head, and God announced, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. God announces him. God announces his mission. God has anointed him. And immediately thereafter, and the Bible says, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Just after God has anointed you and affirmed you, and illuminated you. Just when you are about to get busy with the work of God and give yourself to the work of God, what follows thereafter is persecution. Yeah. 
Paul says, man, remember. That's the pattern. Jesus in Mark chapter 4, after spending the whole day with his disciples, explaining this, the tricks of the devil, how persecution and affliction arises for the word's sake, he gives them the word, he gives them a command to get into the boat and go to the other side. So what do they do? They get in the boat. As they are on their way to do what Jesus says, the storm arises. See, what happens when the storm arises, the storm causes us to forget everything that God told us. Instead of them remembering what Jesus said, they should have stood up in that boat and said, Storm, be quiet. Our Lord said we are going to the other side. He didn't say we are going halfway and drowning. He didn't say we are going halfway and we're going to get hurt. He said we're going to the other side. Instead of that, they were afraid. That is why when Jesus woke up after he rebuked the storm, he rebuked them. He wouldn't have rebuked them if they didn't have the power to stop the storm. He challenged them for their unbelief. In essence, he's saying, I told you, you're going to the other side. I didn't say you're going to drown. I didn't even say storms won't come. All I said is you're going to the other side. Let me decode it for you, Manakohai. You are going to the other side, storm or not storm. If God says you're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. Believe that. And when storms come, no, they're coming because you are illuminated. They are coming because God is taking you somewhere. you got to stand and say, storm or no storm, I'm going to the other side. God said so in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus says, why is it that you have no faith? What he's saying is this. When I tell you something, have faith in what I said. I know what I'm talking about. I knew that COVID will come. In your years of being alive. I knew that COVID will come when you are trying to run a church. I knew that COVID will come when you are trying to run a business. But I told you that you are going to the other side. Why are you afraid? Why are you not standing up? Why are you not telling COVID? That says the Lord, I'm going to the other side. 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 You remember Joseph? After God had given him a dream, he receives enlightenment. He's going to rule over his brothers. He's so happy, he's so excited, he tells them. I saw a dream, what he didn't know on the tail end of that was that his brothers would be jealous of him, take him, sell him into slavery, decide to kill him, throw him into a pit. And I can almost imagine Joseph inside the pit wondering, did I hear the right thing? And that's where some of you are. You are wondering if you heard from God. Ah, come on now, somebody. You are wondering if really what you heard came from God. Because just after you heard from God, after you told everybody, after you called your prayer partner, after you prophesied, after you gave a testimony, after you told everybody how good God is, just the day after the storm started, Listen, God doesn't want you to pray again. God doesn't want you to ask any questions. What God wants you to do, he wants you to depend on him. He wants you to remember. He wants you to remember how he brought you through the last time. And if God can do it the last time, God will do it again. He says, remember. 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 He says, when you remember, then this is what I want you to do. When you received the gospel, 
You stood your ground in those days. He says, you were in great contest. You stood in the face of suffering. And he's giving a, an object lesson and a picture of the, of the Grecian games. The games that the Greek played and the fights and the combat that were there. As people would fight in big stadia. And they would subdue their opponent like wrestlers would do. And it would be an exhibition of gladiators. And their intention was to make their opponent a public spectacle. And they would fight and they would stand their ground out of sheer guts and out of sheer determination. Paul says, take that posture. When this persecution comes, like a great gladiator, get into the ring of life. And by the help of God, make Satan a public spectacle. Bring him under your feet in the name of Jesus. Have sheer guts. He says, I want you to fight till the end. So in verse 35, he says, cast not away therefore your confidence. It has great recompense of reward. He says, you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. That word for patience is also the word determination. You have need of determination. You don't need to pray more. You need determination. Determination is the power and the will to persist. Determination is when you have a resolve. Determination means to have a drive, to have grit, to go the distance. Determination means to be hell-bent in reaching a goal and getting it done no matter what the cost. So determination is a positive emotion that involves persevering towards a difficult goal in spite of the obstacles. Paul says, after you receive illumination, you got to put up a fight. You need determination. Because if you don't show determination, if you don't fight until the bitter end, you will never see the fulfillment of what God has said. Determination is exemplified by the man in Luke chapter 5 who was brought where Jesus was because he was totally paralyzed, couldn't walk, carried on a bed, had never walked, brought to where Jesus was, that Jesus should pray for him to be healed. But as they came to the house, the house was full, the doors were blocked, the windows were blocked. But you see, Christians who understand what determination means, the people that I'm looking at who understand what fighting means. I love what it says in Luke chapter 5. Instead of going home and saying it didn't work, instead of going home and crying their eyes out, the Bible says they sought means by him to, by which to bring him in. They looked for a way. People who are going to win these days are people who will look for a way. 
They decided if the door is blocked, if the windows are blocked, we're going to find another unusual way to make entry into the house. So what did they do? They went up on the house top and they came through the roof. And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, can Jesus see your faith today? Can Jesus see your faith this week? Because you have determination not to turn back. Not to turn back. Because you understand the reason Satan is fighting me is because I got the illumination. But I'm not going to cast away my confidence. Because it has great recompense of reward. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Then and the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. But if any man shrinks back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. What is God saying? God says you are better than the way you are behaving. Ah, come on now. You have more strength than the way you are behaving. God says, come on, don't, 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 don't think that uh, these battles and this persecution is just coming on you. It comes because the devil is after that illumination in your life. He's after that dream in your life. So you owe it to yourself to fight till the bitter end. Give the Lord a big hand right now, please. Hallelujah. Stand on your feet as we bless God this morning. <laughs> Jesus. If you are here and you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord, the door is still wide open for God to change you, for God to transform you, for God to do in your life what no other can do. If you're watching on television now, you can call the numbers on the screen. We are ready and we're willing to pray for you, to bring your life to Christ, the only one who's able to change lives and give you a new way of living. So wherever you are, whether watching by television, whether you have logged on through social media or in our branches or right here in Pinville, if you say, I want Jesus to come into my heart, just raise your hand now. I want to lead you in a prayer and I ask the congregation to join me as I pray. Join me, congregation, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ to come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus, change me and make me a child of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bow your heads. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.